A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky Well, if you guys would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. And for those of you who are new, welcome to Calvary Chapel, and welcome to those of you who are viewing online. My name is Ricky. I'm the pastor here. And, you know, it's funny. Coming to prepare this particular service, I was looking at the text. I'm like, man, I feel like we've taught this, and you guys are going to think, didn't we just speak about the feeding of... um, a large group, we did. We talked about the feeding of the 5,000 just a few weeks ago. Today we'll see Jesus feed the 4,000. And we're going to speak about wonder and God's provision. And honestly, even this morning, I felt a little bit like the disciples who they're going to ask Jesus, how in the world are we going to provide for the uh, people here? And actually, before I continue on, Linda's reminding me graciously in the back, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, we'll get one to you. We always want to encourage you to have your physical Bible with you so you can read with us. And I'm like, Lord, how, how do I communicate your faithfulness to provide? And before, I, I just want to make sure we give the Lord our praise this morning as he's provided loaves and fishes of sorts that we would um, praise him. This morning, I got a few calls and a few conversations. And when we're talking about wonder and we're talking about answered prayers, a lot of times, I'm not sure if you guys ever feel like this, we do a lot of praying, but we don't get to see the results of those prayers very often. And two things happened today. Uh, uh, One of the women here in the church, we got a call that uh, a very long-term or somewhat long-term prayer has been answered this morning and just receiving a call and hearing her excitement on the other side of the phone to see that God is providing um, and answering her prayer. And then this morning, as the pastors and elders and church leaders got together, um, Greg, I'm just going to out what the Lord's done for you. Um, Our elder Greg shared, he came up a few weeks ago and asked us to anoint him with oil and pray over his body as he's been physically ill for a while. (coughs) And... Today to say ever since we did that, every single day he has more energy, he has more life, he's been able to sleep, and just all of these different things that I I don't know what you guys prayed for specifically, but the Lord answered in abundance. And today, I just want to make sure that before we get into the word, that um, we give the Lord a hand of praise for being faithful to answer our prayers, and that it would encourage us. We don't pray for no reason, and we don't pray to a God who can't answer our prayers. And that has come to fruition this morning. And when we worship, if you ever wonder, why do we worship? That's why. Because we serve a God who is able and who's still moving today. And so with that, that's going to go with our word today. But if you would, bow with me and pray one more time. Lord, we come before you this morning thankful for your word. And God, I know I'm particularly thankful that, God, you would continue to provide a testimony of faithfulness that would, Father, illuminate your word even more. That, God, these wouldn't be dead words on a page, but they'd be 
the living word that would edify and encourage us. And God, we're thankful for that. And so, Lord, we ask that you would lend us the Holy Spirit that we would have understanding. For those of us that need to be convicted, we pray that we would have a spirit that's willing to receive it. And Lord, for all of us, we pray that we would have, Lord, a spirit ready to apply these truths to our lives. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So, we're going to be bringing Matthew chapter 15 to a close today. And sound guys, I got a tinny sound to my left for some reason. Um, And we're going to be speaking about Jesus healing and feeding the 4,000. Now, if you've been tracking with us for a little bit, a lot of people don't realize this. When we speak about Jesus feeding the 4 or 5,000, most people recognize that Jesus absolutely did that one time, but not very many people realize that Jesus did it multiple times. And so today we're going to see the second iteration of this miracle as Jesus is following it up with healing the crowd that has been following him. And before we get into it anymore, let's read it together. So if you're in Matthew chapter 15, verse 29, would you say amen? It says, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. So, looking at this second miracle following the miracles of healing. Again, this is not the feeding of the five, but the feeding of the four. But we're going to start breaking this down in verse 29 through 31. Where we see the people turn wonder into worship. And so just reading it again so we know where we are. Jesus went on from there. Beside the Sea of Galilee, he went up to the mountain and sat down there, and the crowds came to him, bringing with them lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put him at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered. And when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. So Jesus is now back by the Sea of Galilee, and he's postured himself up in a mountain again. Um, Some would say that he's sitting above the crowd and speaking down to them. And they're bringing, them, bringing people to Jesus. This isn't the Sermon on the Mount either. This is a different type of teaching or a different type of ministry. Is He's not communicating or orating a service. He's allowing people to be brought to him to be made well. And all the ailments that were brought to Jesus were, in fact, made well. And while we've spoken about healing in the past, something I want us to look at again specifically is 
this really important issue of allowing wonder to happen, but then more importantly, turning wonder into worship. Wonder should lead us into worship. Something that is very different about the person of the world and the person of Christ is that anybody has the opportunity to wonder But what is different about the Christian faith is we would turn that wonder into worship as we take a moment to consider and give thanks to the person, the creator who made the wonder possible. And so this word wonder, thermazzo, is literally to be marveling something, to be in an admiration of a circumstance or a person or a happenstance, to feel surprised, mingled with admiration. I'm not sure if you guys have ever felt that. I think most people have. I would actually venture to say everybody has felt this in some capacity, one way or another, Um, whether it be for a professional athlete, whether it be of a great mind, whether it be a family member you look up to very much, whether it be a minister of the gospel. No matter what, we have people that have brought us to wonder at times, And then we've had different circumstances that have brought us to wonder at times. I was reading through a devotion that reminded me um, just about all the different ways God has installed awe in our every single day. And I, I don't know how many of you have ever had the opportunity to see a newborn begin to taste new foods for the first time, but it is entertaining because the adult has to sit back and see, is this, are they gonna like it? Are they gonna hate it? Are they gonna love this thing? Most anytime sugar is introduced, though, to a young palate is they love it and they can't get enough of it. And the person would speak to introducing ice cream to the tongue for the first time. And you see the eyes just explode because all of the sensories that they were unaware of have just been ignited. And it's, it is a moment of wonder for that child because this is something new they've never experienced. And for some of us as we grow... We actually don't lose that, actually specifically with foods that we particularly enjoy. I know many people even argue about what their favorite ice creams are, which is a weird thing to argue over, but we do. We have famous ice cream shops in North Carolina. I disagree with some of them. Even I have opinions about this, and others love other ones. But still, these are small moments of wonder that we tend to glance over, and then sometimes we have larger ones. If you're a sports fan, I know I'm a a baseball fan, and as you look back in baseball history, there's one that unless you're a diehard baseball fan, you're not going to know who this is, but Bucky Dent, the most unlikely person ever, hits a home run in the most unlikely circumstance. Everybody loses their mind. That's a moment of wonder. As you guys watched the Super Bowl this past two weekends or last weekend, there was moments there. We all have these different circumstances that absolutely bring the mind to wonder whether we want to acknowledge it or not, But again, for the person of faith, it's what do we do with it once we have found ourselves there? Now, before we get to that question, I do want us to take a moment to consider something first, is while there is potential for moments of wonder, for a moment of wonder to really take hold, you have to give it the time in order for it to take hold. I was sitting and considering the topic for a little bit, and I I don't know how many of you have ever heard of a movie called Walter Mitty, but it's a, I think it's a kid's movie. Um, I'm not sure. Um, it's not a kid's movie? Okay, so forgive me. Don't have your kids watch it. But there's a scene in, in there where there's a photographer up on the mountain trying to catch a, a snow leopard on the, on the mountainside. 
and <clears throat> they're having a conversation and the snow leopard comes around in a great distance as he has a camera capable of taking this very long distance shot. And the person who's met this photographer asks him, or, well, when are you, you going to take the picture? Because this is his job. This is what he does for a living. And his response would be, sometimes I don't. If I like a moment and it's specific to me that I'm particularly enjoying it, I don't even like to have the distraction of the camera. I want to make sure that I am part of the moment. I want to stay in it. I want to be in it. And as moving as that can be, um, there aren't very many of us who take the time to consider that action for ourselves as we let these moments pass by very quickly or we're automatically wanting to be engaged by the next thing. We don't very much take time to actually sit long enough to be captured by these wondrous moments the Lord has provided us, no matter how small or great they can be. And so, the first question we have to ask is, are we ever paying enough attention, or are we ever sitting still enough to come to a moment of wonder, or come to a moment of awe with the Lord? And then, if we are taking time to be slow enough are we willing to let it set in? Because again, these moments can happen very quickly. And I've watched, especially um, children can be, I uh, know I'm not gonna say kids because I, I have a, a, a sample of this, but we as people can be very quick to let an amazing moment pass by very quickly because we wanna continue to be engaged. But are we willing to be slow enough or are we willing to let them set in so that we could get to the more important question in a moment? And we put them in order because of this, because if you can't sit still and ponder long enough, you'll never be able to take part in the more important part of this question. If you can't sit still, if you can't take it in, if you can't take in God's glory and give him any acknowledgement, you won't ever be able to even get to the point of worship. I don't think we as people understand the repercussions of a life of hurry of a life of hustle, of a life focused on the next task or experience. Now, before I go on, I will say that every life has seasons where hurry is necessary, but these seasons should be short, and unfortunately, we don't have short seasons of hurry. Many of our lives are completely riddled with the word, that we always have to move quickly. I know I've been guilty of this. I read a, a a devotion years ago that said if you have to constantly drive five miles an hour over to make your next appointment, you might be living in a life of too much hurry. And my wife can tell you I made a life habit and goal of beating the GPS because I was always behind. But these are little indicators of hurry that we're not appreciating the moments that we have, good or bad. Our media providers know this about us and they know this about our minds. They constantly feed us with new information because they know the second we feel disengaged, then we are going to be, in fact, disengaged. They make money the longer we are engaged, and so we're constantly bombarded with seemingly new information, new colors, new lights, so that we would be captivated not by what's being discussed, but what might come next. We treat life experiences like Apple treats the iPhone. 
it seems like once I've learned how to use it, the next one is about to drop. I don't know how, if you guys feel that way, but nobody has ever owned a new iPhone for more than six months because you're already behind the second you figure out how to use it. But we must be able to pause in order to accomplish the next point. And while this isn't a theological deep point, it is an important one, we need to give ourselves that time to sit and be captured by a moment. And even, again, the little things we apply, with many of us with our phones, this isn't a bad thing because I understand the sentiment. But even as parents, we want to capture every single moment that our kids grow. We want to capture every time they roll over. We want to capture every time they learn to ride a bike without training wheels. We want to do all this, and we sit behind the cameras of our phones without ever taking in what's really happening in that moment, we are losing our involvement in it with every time we try to record it for later. God's given us this moment to cherish now, not to cherish later. Your, chill, your child needs your admiration right now, not later. And again, these are just little indications or little ways that we can see that we're moving too fast and we have to consider is that where we are? Have I taken a moment in the last few months as I walk out the door to appreciate the sunrise? Some of us in this room are often out of the door on the way to the work, and we can see the sunrise very often, but not very often do we actually pay attention to it. Do you remember what one looks like? We can move very quickly too often. But if we would pause and if we would slow down, if we would take it in and allow ourselves to be captivated by the glory and wonder of God, even in life's circumstances, we then have to ask, are we willing to turn those moments of wonder into worship? This is the intentional giving credit and praise to the Genesis, the creator, or the root of the wonder that we are taking in. As we get back to the ice cream circumstance, you, we, we take that in, and for many of us who like to think about it, it's like, well, what ice cream shop did this come from? Who's the one that made it? I want to make sure I go back to that place. Then our thought often stops there. But not oftentimes do we give credit to the God who gave us the ability to taste at that capacity, to experience joy at that capacity, who has given us the mind in order to comprehend what it is that we're taking in. We stop too soon very often. And then in other times, in flippant conversation, and I know that I am absolutely guilty of this. I've caught myself doing it. The Lord has been beating me to death over this particular issue this week because I do it all the time. Whenever we have a blessed circumstance come our way, we attribute it to luck or happenstance. Some might say karma. Some might say, um, oh man, I'm totally spacing on the word, but we, we just pass it on like it's something that was gonna happen by accident anyway. We don't often give credit to the God who organized the situation for us to be there in the first place. We experience wonder at, wonder at stillness, and then in that stillness, we have to give our mind time to give credit to the person who provided it. Now, I have a picture on the screen of a bit of water without the scripture, if you guys would. <clears throat> This picture, as you guys are looking at it, now, mind you, before I go down this explanation, this is not 
a historically accurate picture, but please bear with me as we consider this for a moment. This is a, a picture of the Red Sea. And it, it's a, the waters are rough, but I selected one on purpose. In Exodus, we see God remind the people of Israel that he has heard their cry. They've been enslaved for hundreds of years, and he has sent Moses to lead them out of captivity. And if you read Exodus, and I encourage you to do so, it is, it is an exciting story to say the least. And the Lord defeats the Egyptians with these plagues, and Pharaoh gives up, and he seems to relent for a moment. And the people of Israel are led out of Egypt by Moses. And sometime between leaving and arriving at the first side of the Red Sea, Pharaoh decides that he doesn't want to let the people go. The people of Israel have experienced a little bit of excitement, but almost immediately that excitement is taken away with realizing that there is somebody who is literally hunting them down. Fear has absolutely captivated their hearts at this moment. But as God is faithful and he said that he would lead them out of captivity into safety, into a promised land, what does he do? Very many of us are familiar with this story. He's about to part the Red Sea. I can't imagine the the feeling and emotion that would have come with this body of water becoming split open as the the wind rushes in and it coming in so fierce that the soil at the bottom of the sea would be dry enough to walk these millions of people across. And so they get across, but please don't forget that the Egyptians are still on their tail seeking to kill every single one of them, and I'm sure to take some of them back into slavery. They're walking through a wondrous moment, still captivated by fear because there's somebody chasing a lot of peoples, chasing them down. And as the last Israelite foot reaches soil and safety on the other side, the Lord, the Lord allows the water to come crashing back in. Now, what is it that the people of Israel see as they turn around? Well, they see this. This doesn't seem like much to us, but consider taking in the moment that this is the first time that these people have been able to turn around and see that they are, in fact, a free people. This seems insignificant, but I can't imagine the moment of wonder that would have superseded the waters being parted. You are a free people now. And what do the people do? They turn to the Lord in worship. If you guys would, flip with me to Exodus chapter 15. So the people have turned around and they've seen this body of water that was split. No longer so. And these raging waters would begin to settle. And not long after, the people intentionally turn this moment of wonder into worship. And if you're in Exodus 15.1, would you say amen? It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. 
The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Or Philistia. <clears throat> Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after with her <clears throat> with tambourines and dancing and Miriam sang among them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The deliverance that God has just brought them through. A picture that might seem insignificant to us, I can't even imagine the emotion that would have come with it, but then the intentionality to turn that moment into worship. And I don't want us to overlook that. That takes intentionality to remember how it is that that moment arrived. How it is that we have come to this place. There's some in this room who I think if we would take a second and consider our life previously, we don't belong here. I don't deserve the grace and mercy of another day, let alone the ability to sit in a service and hear about God's love and grace. The people of God have always turned moments of wonder into worship. Mary, as Jesus was born, she, as we look at, we're not gonna look at it today for the sake of time, but I encourage you, Luke chapter two, the shepherds have just had angels come and tell them that their savior has been born and they come and they, 
seek Jesus out and they find him in a manger and they tell Mary and um, her husband Joseph about all that had been done. And after they've come and worship for a little bit, it says that they left. But in Luke 2.19, it says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. To take a moment and consider what it is that God is doing. The people of Israel sat by the water's side and took the time to write a song to give God praise. The shepherds would leave the room and Mary would take time to ponder the blessings of God within her heart. Brothers and sisters, when was the last time we pondered anything? These are huge historical moments of our faith, but even the little things, do we take time to ponder the blessings that have come our way? Or again, do we just move on to the next thing like culture has done such a good job of teaching us to do? Worship comes from moments of sitting still and acknowledging God for what he's done and for who he is. And again, we need to consider the flippant comments we make. When we receive one of these blessings or we see somebody who is just been blessed by God, that we wouldn't say, well, I've been lucky, or it's karma, or that they have been lucky. What, what goes around comes around. These diminish the interactions of God in our lives when we don't give credit to God in every single one of our circumstance. It may be seemingly insignificant, but these thoughtless phrases dilute the moments we may need in order to be awestruck. Consider it for a moment. If you would be quick to say it was, a, it was a happenstance of luck, you've automatically moved your mind to a place to where you can't see what God has done. You're already walking in the direction of moving past the moment. But to sit still and ponder what it is that God has done in our lives. And I would say for all of us in here who are believers, let's just consider this for a moment. If we don't believe creation, the world that we lived in was done by happenstance, why would we give so much credit to happenstance in our daily circumstances? The world wasn't created by a big bang, so why do we assume that all of our blessed interactions are the same? We have to give credit where credit is due. Have we wondered? Have we been in awe? And especially on a Sunday morning, but on a daily basis, if we would take time to wonder, if we would take time to ponder, if we would take time to be in awe, the moments when we come to a place of worship would be so much more rich than they often are. I don't know about you guys, but there are times on Sunday mornings or many Sunday mornings in a row, you're like, I'm hearing songs, but I don't understand the point of the songs. I see the words on the screen, but I don't emotionally agree with the words on the screens. These are just words to me. Well, they're words to anybody who don't take time to consider the fact that you have a reason to worship. That you, like the angels who are going to sit postured before the Lord and worship, we can join them because our God is worthy to be worshiped. And so the question is for you, why is God worthy to be worshiped? If you can't answer that question, that's why you're having trouble worshiping. We're not taking time to acknowledge, 
probably the most important thing in our lives. Because brothers and sisters, if you are saved, if there is any reason to worship that is wholly satisfactory, completely and done, it is the fact that you are saved alone. We always have a reason to worship. Then in verse 32, as we move on, it says, And Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Here we see Jesus's, God's, unceasing love, and some would say unfailing love. Now, I've noted this before, and so we're not going to break this down much. If you want to get more into this particular point, check a couple weeks back in 14, but we are going to touch on it. But what does unceasing mean? Unceasing is it's never going to come to an end. It is continuous. That is the depth, and I think the word depth doesn't even capture it. That is the depth of Jesus' love. Jesus, after days of ministering, hasn't grown tired of the people in need of a physician, but is still compassionate. Compassionate to the point even of being unwilling to send them away neglected in any way. Now, I don't know about you guys, but any time that I have been ministering for a long time, there is a point when my grace ends and my love ends. I think that every single one of us, if we're very honest, we do have a line. It's like, look, I need a break. You're going to have to go to McDonald's. I don't have anything else for you. That's it. Is there nutrition in the chicken nugget? No, but it'll hold you for a day. Come back tomorrow. But Jesus isn't willing to do that. He says, I'm not even willing that they would go away hungry lest they faint, lest they perish, lest they fall. Do we know that Jesus doesn't grow weary of ministering to the humble and broken follower? And this is, I think, an important question, not just for the unsaved, but this is a really important question for those of us that are. He does not grow weary of ministering to you. Psalm 136, 26, give thanks to God in heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, Jesus will resist the proud. We see him do it often with the Pharisees. We see him do it with Herod before his death on the cross. But he doesn't resist those who are in need that know they are in need. And that dependence doesn't end in salvation. If anything, as we've come to salvation, the aid of Jesus becomes more accessible as we've become more aware of our need for help. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7 says, Likewise, you are hungry, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that you, at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Because why? Because he cares for you. Jesus contains great compassion, and I think for many of us that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, we withhold prayers because we think the Lord doesn't want to hear it. We withhold interactions because we think the Lord might have grown tired of hearing my voice or my presence or whatever it is. Jesus does not grow weary of hearing from those he loves. 
And if there is anything in the back of your mind who is, that has made you think even for a moment that the Lord doesn't have the time for you, shut that voice up and remember what the word of God says, that his love endures forever. Your father wants to hear from you. And then verses 33 through 39, as we bring this to a close, it says, And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate, forth, who, those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. And so here, I have this particular note broken down a little weird. Is that I, I wrote down, is this forgetfulness or a lack of faith? And then I have the line slashed out. But there's a reason. Now, remember, As we're looking at this chronologically, Jesus has just performed this miracle, this same miracle not that long ago. And that when you remember that, you might even look at this interaction and think, why in the world would the disciples have been so perplexed at this situation considering what they had just experienced per our view one chapter ago? We don't know how long it was, but this is still pretty close chronologically. This this should be fresh in their minds. But before we dive into speculation about the minds and faith of the disciples, I think it would be better for us to focus on the work of Jesus here. There are many who would take time to consider the disciples in this text, and while that's not wrong to do, it's certainly not the most important spiritual point we should consider. Some of you are asking, well, why didn't they just ask Jesus to repeat the miracle? Some of of you might even be thinking, well, They should have known seven loaves was going to be plenty at the hands of Jesus because he would have done that. But I would like us to consider the compassion and grace instead that Jesus even displayed here to his disciples in this moment. Consider, rather, the lack of correction. Consider, instead, the lack of disappointment. Consider, for a second, the lack of ridicule that the disciples received from Jesus in this moment. Because a lot of times I think we put too much stock in the faith of man or what it is that men know. And when we do that, oftentimes we apply it to ourselves. And I would say, what is it that you think man knows? I think we need to remember that man knows very little about anything in the scope of how big and huge God is. That's really important to consider because We're reading this and we're like, all right, well, the disciples should have said, here's my fish, do your thing. I hope some of us would have the faith to say, all right, here's my loaves, let it go. But I don't know how many of us would. We don't see Jesus repeat miracles very often. We don't see Jesus perform miracles every single time, every single instance. The disciples, just like us, are at the mercy, thankfully, at the direction of Jesus, even in this circumstance. And I would say, if there's any good place that the disciples would be, is needing to receive direction from Jesus now. 
Rather than contrive how they think the situation should be done, they still come to Jesus seeking direction, and that's the best place anybody can be. And I would say for you, if there's a situation where you're trying to figure out how do I get to the other side of this, rather than wasting so much time trying to contrive a way out of it yourself, bring it to Jesus and let him provide the answer you need. Again, some might say they are forgetful or that they were lacking faith. I would disagree because I still came to Jesus instead of anything else. Jesus' grace here is abundant. This spontaneous or unmerited gift that he is about to express to them or is currently expressing to them. We need to be reminded about the endless charity that lives on the other side of our prayers, praises, and worship. We need to stop relying on our own strength and remember what sits on the other side of a faith that completely relies on Jesus. And again, we we spoke about it a minute ago. There's so many reasons why we keep our prayers from the Lord and so many reasons why we think that we don't need to do it. There are times of pride When we don't want to be considered a charity case, even in the spiritual realm. And hey, I I think most people struggle with this one. When it comes to needing help, we tend to not ask because we don't want people to perceive us a certain way. That we are, like I said here, a charity case or that we're lazy or that we can't provide or that we can't fill in the blank. And even spiritually, We hold our prayers back because we don't even on a spiritual level want to be considered a charity case rather than acknowledging that we have a God who wants to bless us. This is an issue of pride. And this issue of pride still leads us to assume that we have an ability to resolve something that we do not have. Friends here in this room, can I say that Even your ability to work, I've spoken about this before, your ability to stand and provide for your household can be taken away at the moment and in a moment should the Lord choose to do so. Your muscular capacity is a blessing every moment it still exists. Your ability to breathe is a gift in every single moment. There are times of doubt that keep us from coming to Jesus this way. We don't want to come to Jesus because we feel, out, feel like we've maxed out some sort of spiritual credit card. I don't know how many of you have ever felt this way. You keep from asking because you're like, Lord, I know I, I have asked too much. I have asked too many times. There's no way that I still have credit on this line. We begin to evade prayer and worship like we evade debt collectors on our phones. Like there's no way God would still continue to bless me. I'm a burden on the Lord's mind. You are no burden on the Lord's mind. Again, his love endures forever. Keep praying, keep asking, keep residing in the presence of God's love. It never ends. It never fails. And then there are times of fear. We won't come to Jesus because we're afraid of what he would think of us upon our arrival. 
we've wrongly assumed that we would face some kind of ridicule, the kind of ridicule, ridicule that we've received from our worldly peers. But I want to encourage you guys in Scripture. Can I say that you, we've been taught to think this way? is when we fall short or we fail at something, it doesn't matter whether it's a school issue, it doesn't matter whether it's an academic issue, an athletic issue, a professional issue, a corporate issue, when we fail, all of us mostly anticipate ridicule to be sitting on the other side when we have to admit that we have fallen short or we have to admit that we are in need. We are a lesser version of something or someone else. We are not taught to tap because tapping admits that there is something wrong with us. And can we acknowledge for a moment, when you know somebody looks at you that way, there is not quite a feeling like it. It's a miserable one. It makes your stomach churn when you feel like you've been evaluated as a, as a lesser thing than what they thought of you before. But again, I want to encourage you to look at Scripture and remember, ridicule has never come from the lips of Jesus towards a person who has come to him in meekness. As you consider the parable of the prodigal son, he thought this way for a moment. This, this brother chose to eat from the pig troughs before he was willing to admit that he had made the wrong decision. He intentionally led himself into the deepest form of poverty, all the while knowing that his father had more than enough wealth to rectify his situation, but shame led him to a place he had never been before. But he reasoned among himself. He said, you know what? If I would go back, even if I was a servant, it'd be better than this. And if you haven't read that parable or you haven't heard that story, man, it's such a blessing because the father sees his son coming on the horizon and bolts after him so that he could embrace him and remind him that he's just glad that he has returned home. He's not facing ridicule. He faced a cherished gaze. He felt a warm embrace and then his father would have prepared a feast for him that evening. Brothers and sisters, if you're coming to the Lord in meekness, as we all should, as we all have to, know that ridicule is not what awaits you, but the care of a loving father is sitting and waiting. He stands at the door and knocks. And so as we've worked through this section of Scripture today, as Jesus has healed everyone that's been brought to him, as he performs the miracle of feeding thousands again, we see the importance of turning wonder into worship. We see the unending nature of God's love. And you know what, can I say this as well? Is maybe that is the moment of wonder some of you needed to hear today. Because that's absolutely what that is, is when we are in a dark and depressed and destitute place, what a moment it is to realize that there is a father who loves you, who's willing to embrace you no matter where you're at at the moment. You don't have to be there any longer. To know that even though you don't feel like you're loved by anybody else in this world, you are deeply loved 
by the God who created you. That's a wonderful place to be in. To have that spiritual weight removed from you. That's what, that's def, that is in its definition what Jesus means when he says, my yoke is light. To walk arm, arm in arm with a God who loves you and who died for you so that you wouldn't have to be in that place. So our thoughts, are we turning wonder into worship and do we know God's love doesn't grow tired of us? If you don't know who Jesus is, you have to know that. His love does not grow tired of those who come to him. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you have forgotten that, and you feel like you're a burden to him because everybody else has made it 100% clear that you're a burden to them, you have to remember that. The Lord does not grow tired of ministering to you. So if you guys would, I'm gonna invite the worship team back up as we bring this to a close and pray. As always, I wanna encourage you that myself and the pastors will be up front for prayer for you. And that if you're not coming up for prayer as you worship, please pray for those who do come forward that the Lord would minister to their soul as well. So if you would, stand with me. Lord, we come before you this morning, thankful for the reminder of your word, thankful for, God, even the practical reminder to slow down and open, allow you to open our eyes, to see that you are good, that you're still answering prayers and to hear and be reminded that your love never fails. It endures forever, and it is deep enough for all of us who need it. So God, we pray that you'd be with us this morning. Encourage us and provide safe travels home, and we ask now that this final song would be pleasing to you as we cry out your name, and we ask this in your name. Amen.